Chapter Seven, Part Four of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orzee. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Christmas Tragedy, Part Four. My dear lady and I walked back to our hotel in silence. Our hearts seemed to weigh heavily within us. We felt mortally sorry for that good-looking young Yorkshireman, who we were convinced was innocent, yet at the same time seemed involved in a tangled web of deadly circumstances from which he seemed quite unable to extricate himself. We did not feel like discussing the matter in the open streets, neither did we make any comment when presently, in a block in the traffic in Coney Street, we saw Margaret Seeley driving her smart dog-cart, whilst sitting beside her, and talking with great earnestness close at her ear, sat Captain Glynn. She was in deep mourning, and had obviously been doing some shopping, for she was surrounded with parcels, so perhaps it was hypocritical to blame her. Yet somehow it struck me that just at the moment when there hung in the balance the life and honour of a man with whose name her own had oft been linked by popular rumour, it showed more than callous contempt for his welfare to be seen driving about with another man who, since his sudden access to fortune, had undoubtedly become a rival in her favours. When we arrived at the Black Swan we were surprised to hear that Mr. Grayson had called to see my dear lady, and was upstairs waiting. Lady Molly ran up to our sitting-room and greeted him with marked cordiality. Mr. Grayson is an elderly, dry-looking man, but he looked visibly affected, and it was some time before he seemed able to plunge into the subject which had brought him hither. He fidgeted in his chair, and started talking about the weather. "'I am not here in a strictly professional capacity, you know,' said Lady Molly presently, with a kindly smile and with a view to helping him out of his embarrassment. "'Our police, I fear me, have an exaggerated view of my capacities, and the men here have asked me unofficially to remain in the neighbourhood, and give them my advice if they should require it. Our chief is very lenient to me, and has allowed me to stay. Therefore, if there is anything I can do—' "'Indeed, indeed there is,' ejaculated Mr. Grayson with sudden energy. "'From all I hear, there is not another soul in the kingdom but you, who can save this innocent man from the gallows.' My dear lady heaved a little sigh of satisfaction. She had all along wanted to have a more important finger in that Yorkshire pie. "'Mr. Smethick?' she said. "'Yes, my unfortunate young client,' replied the lawyer. "'I may as well tell you,' he resumed after a slight pause, during which he seemed to pull himself together, "'as briefly as possible what occurred on December 24th last, and on the following Christmas morning. You will then understand the terrible plight.' in which my client finds himself, and how impossible it is for him to explain his actions on that eventful night. You will understand, also, why I have come to ask your help and your advice. Mr. Smethick considers himself engaged to Miss Seeley. The engagement had not been made public, because of Major Seeley's anticipated opposition, but the young people had been very intimate, and many letters had passed between them. On the morning of the 24th, Mr. Smethick called at the hall, his intention then being merely to present his fiancée with the ring you know of. You remember the unfortunate contretemps that occurred. I mean the unprovoked quarrel sought by Major Seeley with my poor client, ending with the irascible old man, forbidding Mr. Smethick the house. My client walked out of Clavere, feeling, as you might well imagine, very wrathful. On the doorstep, just as he was leaving, he met Miss Margaret, and told her very briefly what had occurred. 
She took the matter very lightly at first, but finally became more serious, and ended the brief interview with the request that, since he could not come to the dance, after what had occurred, he should come and see her afterwards, meeting her in the gardens soon after midnight. She would not take the ring from him then, but talked a good deal of sentiment about Christmas morning, asking him to bring the ring to her at night, and also the letters which she had written him. Well, you can guess the rest. Lady Molly nodded thoughtfully. "'Miss Seeley was playing a double game,' continued Mr. Grayson earnestly. "'She was determined to break off all relationship with Mr. Smethick, for she had transferred her volatile affections to Captain Glynn, who had lately become heir to an earldom, and forty thousand pounds a year. Under the guise of sentimental twaddle, she got my unfortunate client to meet her at night in the grounds of Clavier, and to give up to her the letters which might have compromised her in the eyes of her new lover. At two o'clock a.m. Major Seely was murdered by one of his numerous enemies, as to which I do not know, nor does Mr. Smethick. He had just parted from Miss Seely at the very moment when the first cry of murder roused Clavier from its slumbers. This she could confirm if she only would, for the two were still in sight of each other, she inside the gates, he just a little way down the road. Mr. Smethick saw Margaret Seely run rapidly back towards the house. He waited about a little while, half hesitating what to do. Then he reflected that his presence might be embarrassing, or even compromising to her, whom, in spite of all, he still loved dearly, and knowing that there were plenty of men in and about the house to render what assistance was necessary, he finally turned his steps and went home, a broken-hearted man, since she had given him the go-by, taken her letters away, and flung contemptuously into the mud the ring he had bought for her. The lawyer paused, mopping his forehead and gazing with whole-souled earnestness at my lady's beautiful, thoughtful face. "'Has Mr. Smethick spoken to Miss Seeley since?' asked Lady Molly, after a while. "'No, but I did,' replied the lawyer. "'What was her attitude?' "'One of bitter and callous contempt. She denies my unfortunate client's story from beginning to end, declares that she never saw him after she bade him good morning on the doorstep of Clavier Hall, when she heard of his unfortunate quarrel with her father. Nay, more, she scornfully calls the whole tale a cowardly attempt to shield a dastardly crime behind a still more dastardly libel on a defenceless girl. We were all silent now, buried in thought which none of us would have cared to translate into words. That the impasse seemed indeed hopeless, no one could deny. The tower of damning evidence against the unfortunate young man had indeed been built by remorseless circumstances with no faltering hand. Margaret Seeley alone could have saved him, but with brutal indifference she preferred the sacrifice of an innocent man's life and honor to that of her own chances of a brilliant marriage. There are such women in the world. Thank God I have never met any but that one. Yet I am wrong when I say that she alone could save the unfortunate young man, who throughout was behaving with such consummate gallantry, refusing to give his own explanation of the events that occurred on that Christmas morning, unless she chose first to tell the tale. There was one present now in the dingy little room at the Black Swan, who could disentangle that weird skein of coincidences, if any human being, not gifted with miraculous powers, could indeed do it at this eleventh hour. She now said gently, "'What would you like me to do in this matter, Mr. Grayson, and why have you come to me rather than to the police?' "'How can I go with this tale to the police?' 
he ejaculated in obvious despair. Would they not also look upon it as a dastardly libel on a woman's reputation? We have no proofs, remember. And Miss Seeley denies the whole story from first to last. No, no, he exclaimed with wonderful fervor. I came to you because I have heard of your marvelous gifts, your extraordinary intuition. Someone murdered Major Seeley. It was not my old friend, Colonel Smethick's son. Find out who it was, then. I beg of you, find out who it was. He fell back in his chair, broken down with grief. With inexpressible gentleness, Lady Molly went up to him and placed her beautiful white hand on his shoulder. "'I will do my best, Mr. Grayson,' she said simply. End of Part 4 of A Christmas Tragedy